The early part of the 1990s were marked with war, recession, and a disaffected youth in search of a voice. By the midpoint, however, things were looking different. Things were looking up. Things were looking brighter. It's as if we'd went from a dark brown to a golden yellow hue in the crayon box of life. America had just elected its youngest president since John F. Kennedy. And regardless of your politics, if you were a certain age, it mattered that there was somebody young and vibrant sitting in a chair of power. It's almost as if what we were trying to put out in the universe in the early part of the decade actually got through. Had we made a difference? Were things going to be better for us than they were for the previous generation? Generation X had it in the palm of their hands, it felt. We could even see this in the pop culture landscape. There was new music and new sound emerging. Whether you were interested in R&B or you were interested in hip-hop, you know, you had Tupac, you had Biggie, you had new things happening, bubbling up. Now, rock and roll took a hit. Make no mistake, rock and roll took a big hit. It wasn't as though they were even in the throes of a midlife crisis. It seemed like the record industry's uh, misuse of the term alternative, thrusting that label on anything with a three, four, five piece, uh, you know, rock and roll type sound, that it became absolutely meaningless. It became hopeless. And as a result, it looked like we were going to get, you know, buckets of bush and bands like Candlebox, you know, for the rest of time. It really was bleak. I'm sorry if you like those bands, but they just represent that thing to me, that thing that, you know, we had this great thing in rock and roll going on in the early part of the decades where it was searching for rock and roll was searching. The people that made rock and roll were searching for inspiration in the past. And, uh, they were looking on the fringes with, with, um, punk and new wave and really cool guitar sounds. We, we saw a lot of new things happening. And then, Bands started getting signed and they started just mimicking. They started just doing what everyone else was doing. And that's not exciting. That's not new. That's ugly. So in a way, this optimism that was happening wasn't being channeled in the rock and roll world. Sure, there were bands that were doing it, but they were indie bands. And indie bands don't matter. Ah, but they do on this podcast. Because our indie band, fresh off the heels of the masterpiece that was Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, with a California rock and roll sound, moving far away from the lo-fi haphazard sound of slanted and enchanted went back to the studio 
to make another record. And on April 11th, 1995, we got to hear the results of optimism. We got to hear the results of what it sounds like to swing for the fences and make a record that is big and bold and beautiful. We got to hear the fruits of their labor and the only thing we could do was turn it up, scratch our heads and say, wowie zowie. Welcome to Meeting Malcolmus, a pavement podcast. Hey, it's JD here, back for another week of hitchhiking through the back roads of the catalog of Seminole Indie Rock Band, Pavement, with the hopes that I'll be dropped off somewhere near a conclusion, somewhere near an answer. And maybe even get the chance to meet Malcolmus. So, um, what you doing? <laughs> I'm getting ready to talk about We Dance. But before I do that, I want to thank everybody for uh, scrambling and downloading the fuck out of that uh, special episode i released yesterday with the uh, playlist on it uh sorry if i didn't get your tracks in time to include them but that's how it works sometimes when you're on a schedule <laughs> so there's that i can tell you that i'm working with a new microphone today uh i made a change so if it sounds a little bit different it should sound better but uh, right now I'm working without a windscreen. It's uh, coming in the mail tomorrow. And uh, there may be a little bit um, more breathiness and uh, plosive sounding uh, JD than you're used to. And I apologize for that in advance. So there's that. There may also be the sounds of rugrats in the background as my children are home on this whole COVID journey that we are facing. How are you doing? How are you coping? Um, send me an email, jd at meetingmalchemist.com. I want to know that you're all well, safe, taken care of. It looks like Primavera has um, made an announcement, and that announcement is that there'll be another announcement because they haven't made a fucking decision. Uh, let's call a spade a spade here. It's going to be canceled um, or postponed at the very least. Uh, there, there's no way in hell you can organize that many bands and get them together unless you're a Coachella, you know, a brand that big. But um, we shall see. Time will tell. And uh, I have basically decided at this point that I will not be going. It just doesn't make sense to... Um, deal with plane tickets and things like that at this point. Uh, this is why I wish Primavera would just say, this is the date, this is what's happening, or this isn't what's happening. But I can't be bothered, you know, um, fucking around. My fingers are just crossed that we get some 
more pavement live later on and uh, we'll go from there so there's that now before we go any further uh what we always do when we start a new record is we get on the horn with bobby from atlanta and we talk about artwork so what do you say we do that talk to him about the wowie zowie artwork that is pretty spectacular i feel guilty because i have slanted and i have crooked rain framed you know in a really tasteful artistic manner (laughs) in the hallway of my house but i don't have the other three records and it feels like i'm not a completist um by the way for you completists out there thank you so much uh for being a completist and you know what that means it means that you subscribe to the bonus feed and earlier this week we did um well i did uh a track by track outline of traditional techniques so i veered away from the normal content to release that that came out on monday if you're interested in that it's three bucks a month you don't have to you don't have to stay on board if you want to listen to that episode and the stuff that's there pay the three bucks and then i think you get access to it and then you can cancel i think i don't know or you could just stay on for three bucks a month that's you could do that too <laughs> my producer's uh tapping the glass right now saying get on with the bobby from atlanta bit uh so i'll do that and uh we'll go from there all right this is uh my call with bobby from atlanta and uh we're gonna talk about artwork yeah so you talked to our friend again mark yeah, talk to talk to Mark. He he'd been traveling a bit, so I, I emailed Mark and said, "Hey, it's time we're gonna do Wowie Zowie, and I need your in, insight because you're one of the few people that know what's going on in the in the brain of Stephen Malcolmus." <laughs> uh, circa what year is this? I don't even know. Ninety five. Ninety five. Yeah. So. Uh, he gave me some insight. He got back to me after I had been researching a little bit already. Um, but as as usual, he had insight that I was unaware of. There are not, things that I couldn't find on right. the internet because I think they were just in his head and Jeez. a part of his a part of his uh, email and, and phone calling and you know the process of developing an album on the graphic end of things that's so cool it is it's so cool we we lucked out as a podcast to have that connection so yeah uh, it's pretty cool to to know somebody that that knows these things along with spiral and um you know those folks too yeah oh yeah definitely so yeah so take um, me through it so let's see. I'll I'll tell you what I learned from Esquire magazine uh, online first of all, which was a very good when you're researching um, album artwork and you Google it. Uh, it's very convenient that there's an article about that album artwork on a, a proper magazine website. So I kind of I had it a little easier this go around. So the artist, there's two elements, right? So there's cartoon bubbles that say pavement and wowie zowie right and so that we can think of that as kind of like an overlay and then 
the background behind it is a painting, right? And that's all that's all there is. So the background painting is the key, really, I guess. Um, and interestingly enough, I learned through Esquire about the painting, and then Mark O came through and told me about the the bubbles and the lettering. Just you know, perfect timing. Oh man! So the background painting is done by. Uh, I believe he refers to himself as a New York City artist. The guy's name is Steve Keen. And cool enough, he he goes back with Stephen and friends, um, including Berman um, and, I guess, Bob, back to the University of Virginia. Um, there really? Was a, yeah. So this artist uh, working in New York and knows these guys from uh, WTJU Radio in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, which is probably, what, six or seven years back or something like that. He was a couple of years older than these guys. So he was, um, you know, maybe he was three or four years older than Stephen, um, but he remembers going back and, they remember seeing them perform in some of their cursory kind of, um, you know, early, early jam sessions. And he was just, he was kind of instantly attracted to it. And he said in the article that he felt like they were a part of, he was a part of their tribe, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. That's like, awesome. like, like, like-minded college students, you know, like there's, they're kind of anybody that's gone through college knows that there's little pockets of people groups. Um, and I guess, so he would be associated in that pocket of social interaction with Steven. That's right. Um, you just and, meet people and click sometimes you just, it's like short, yeah. you speak shorthand, you know? Yeah. You're trying, I guess when you show up as a freshman in college, you, you have your antenna up and you're kind of looking around trying to figure out who is my tribe. Right. And, uh, so anyway, Steve Keen, uh, kind of clued into Steven and I guess Berman too, because he ended up doing album cover. I think it was Arizona record, um, uh, for Silver Jews was done by Steve Keen also. Oh, cool. Yeah. And Apple's in stereo. Really? Also. Yeah. So he's kind of, uh, prolific is the word. This guy, um, so he set out, I guess, with the intention of being an artist full time, which is a, as I know, I'm, I'm, I do artwork on the side. I do graphic design to make actual money. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but this guy had the intention, I believe, of being just a fine artist. And he said that, um, I'm quoting this Esquire article, I've sold or given away at this point over 300,000 paintings. <laughs> 300,000? I don't, don't 300,000. Jesus Christ. So, okay, so this guy, what he does is he was dubbed, um, what magazine was this? Time Magazine dubs him in 1997 as the assembly line Picasso. So he is, what he does is, it's really fascinating to, to learn about this guy being interested in art myself. Um, 
so there's some YouTube videos. If you YouTube Steve King, you can see um, he'll set up not necessarily canvas. It could be just pieces of plywood or whatever. He has paper. Um, he'll set up a row, and he'll do it sometimes as an exhibition where he's doing it live. In fact, um, Mark O told me that he remembers seeing Steve Keane at a pavement concert or a Malcolmus concert at some point where he was um, doing his artwork during the the opening band. <laughs> so he would, he would actually be, you know, in public spaces and he would have a row of between I'll say five and 30 canvases. Holy and they're, they're, you know, they're in a linear fashion. Right. And so he's going, he's got a lot of times he'll do an album cover. So he'll take like whatever it may be, like the talking heads or something like that. He'll take an album, a vinyl album cover and he'll paint that album cover and he'll do it 25 times in a row. And uh, each one is slightly different, right? So it was just fascinating. I've never seen anything like that. It's no, almost that's like a bonkers. It's almost like a print, like a printing press, <laughs> uh, duplicating artwork, but it's all done by hand. And then he would, he would either give them away or he'd sell them for five bucks or he'd sell them for, you know, if it's a one of three series, and maybe he'd sell them for like fifty dollars each. But the intention was that. He, I'm just going to do this because I enjoy doing it and I'm going to make a little bit of money doing it and I want everybody in New York City to have one of these, you know, and they're going to pay me five bucks per bag or whatever it may be. Um, so it was a very unique approach to art. Um, yeah, I haven't heard of anything like that. I've never heard of anything like it. Um, and so anyway, Stephen knew him and uh, knows him. And said, I've got, we've got some, you know, got an album coming. We do, we do a painting for me, or maybe it, it's a little unclear whether or not Stephen just said, I like this series. Can we use it for an album? Or if he actually, I think what happened though, is he commissioned it. So it said um, in this article that, and I found this interesting too, that there's in the nineties, there is sort of a, uh, fascination with with the Arabic um, culture, Middle Eastern culture, and then here it said there's there people were eating falafels like crazy back then. <laughs> so that was funny. There's, you know, people culture goes through these things where there's like a fascination with, with Chinese food, and then there's, you know, anyway, there's a hot, a hot moment in the 90s where Middle Eastern culture was was considered, you know, really um, unique and interesting to people. So I think uh, basically Steve said, well, let's, you know, and he saw this article in uh, Life magazine called in 1972, actually, which goes back a ways, but uh, it was a 1972 Life magazine uh, titled The Arab World, and it has... Um, Lots of photography of of life in that area, and uh, so there's one photograph in that Life magazine where it's two Arab women uh, kind of sitting uh, 
cross-legged on the ground, I guess. And there's a goat in the picture <laughs> just, uh, you know, walking by. Just chilling out, being a goat? Yeah, you know? just, just being a goat. That's right. And, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, Steve... Steve Keen finds this image and he thinks, well, this is really strange and interesting looking. So he does, from from what I can tell, he does his typical thing where he maybe put 20, I think he said maybe 15 or 20 different, 20 or 30 different versions of the same photograph um, painted on all these pieces of board or paper. And so he said, it shows him to Stephen and he says, here's 30 versions of this, of this Arab lifestyle painting, um, in blue and gray. And, uh, and it, to me, it looks like, I, I think of like Chewbacca sitting, like if Chewbacca were sitting, uh, cross-legged on the <laughs> ground or something, <laughs> that's what it, that's what it looks like to me. I don't know. I mean, I never, surely no one other than Marco and, and Steve Keen knew what this was, you right? Because it's not—it's not graphically. Uh, no, it's not clear. No, know? and it looks like a dog, not a goat, right? Like it looks like some right, sort of, sure, yeah, know. it looks like a poodle, like yeah. a poodle at Chewbacca and his wife and their poodle. Right? <laughs> so anyway, Stephen says, "Oh, this one's the one," you know. And he picks out one out of thirty, and he says, Let's, "We're going to do this one." And so he tells Marco, like, this is the album cover. But, and then here's where Marco comes into the equation. He tells me this insight, which, of course, no one knows except me and Marco. <laughs> but uh, there's this album cover. I guess there's some people that may know this just intuitively. There's an, a band in 1972, which is crazy because that is a weird coincidence. This band is called uh, Kangaroo. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. And they put out an album in 1972 called Kangaroo. And it says, um, or actually the album is called Guru Guru. And anyway, the, the big lettering on the top of the album, it says Kangaroo and it's in these bubble letters. Right. Yeah. Um, and there, there's a picture of a kangaroo and a baby in its pouch, and there's two bubbles coming off of the kangaroo, like cartoon bubbles, and one of them says "kanga kanga," and then the other one, the baby, saying "guru guru." <laughs> it's like the mom, the mom and baby talking to each other in cartoon bubbles, and so Stephen says, "I want this painting of the Arab." Uh, Sasquatches for the for the cover, but I want the kangaroo cartoon bubbles on top of it, and we're gonna we'll put the album title in the, one of the bubbles, and then it'll say. So it actually it's a question and response, and it says pavement question mark from uh, Chewbacca, and then the goat the goat says Wowie Zowie, <laughs> and um, that's it. There you are. So that's kind of the, the great story, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of components there, right? There's a lot of... Every single one of these album covers is like deeper and weirder than you would expect. Yeah. <laughs> I'd yeah. say. Yeah. Nothing, so, is, uh, nothing is straightforward with this band. 
No, and it's such an obscure. Isn't that weird though that the Kangaroo album is 1972, and the Life magazine cover of the Arab World is 1972. I don't know how that's possible, but what makes it even more weird is it's not like in 1995 you could go to the internet and just type in cool things from 1972. You know what I mean? Right. Like now you could do that and you could maybe see these two things. Yes. It would be immensely difficult. You just have to have that sort of recall that you've seen these things somewhere before. Yeah. So two other little fascinating anecdotes. Mark tells me that, Stephen's grandmother, or maybe great grandmother, also has artwork in the gatefold of that album. Okay, and it's some sort of like uh, kind of monotone, like gold and black or cream and black uh, graphic. And I don't have it, and I tried to find it, and I can't, I can't find it online. But anyway, Stephen's great grandmother or grandmother. Um, is featured in there also. And then there's one other thing. What was it? Gosh, there's another little, uh, Oh, oh so the they, mad magazine. What, the, yeah. The, the when, they, when they, when they reissued, it's uh sorted sentinels, right? The reissue, uh, 20 years later, I think it was, they called up Steve Keen and they said, Hey, you uh, or Matador Records called up Steve Keen and said, "Hey, you did this artwork. We we're thinking about promoting the reissue. Would you be interested in doing some new art to kind of advertise this thing?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." And so he, of course, like he he sent uh, he sent in a pile of artwork that he had done in short order and. Uh, and they kind of worked through that and figured out what they wanted to do. And they used a, the back of Mad Magazine that has this folding graphic, which I'm sure you remember, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, Al Jaffe, it says here, maybe that was the person who did the, the folding graphic on the backs of those. But anyway, you fold it twice, and the image turns into a more narrow vertical image and the pieces from the left and right come together to create some different image. Yes. And so they created, um, Steve created a poster. Um, he actually created multiple posters and they just picked the one they liked the best. Surprise. He did multiples. (laughs) Oh, he did. But yeah, just a pile of them. And it, Quickly, you know, probably all within two or three weeks or something. But uh, they turned this one into, um, I think it's, when it's folded out, it's like a pizza and burger restaurant. And when you fold it together, it becomes a church and it says, rest in peace is <laughs> is the <laughs> message uh, if you fold it together, like the Mad Magazine. So it was very, you know, off the wall thing. Um And Mark, uh, the other thing I want to mention, too, is that Steve Keen um, did all this work for the the album back in the day. And obviously, Pavement had had a big success with Crooked Rain. And so this album was highly anticipated by the world. And he was at a bus stop, and somebody had a Rolling Stone magazine, and Pavement had bought the back cover ad of Rolling Stone, which is just 
huge, you know, right. um, for their, their new album, uh, advertisement. And so that was the first time that Steve ever saw his artwork was on the back of Rolling Stone and had a bus stop. Oh, that's cool. Some, some kid had a Rolling Stone magazine was flipping through it. He's like, Oh my God, <laughs> he saw it on the back of the cover. Oh, that man. Yeah, that is. Yeah. So interesting uh, research project. The other thing that stands sure. out, the other thing that stands out for me is the back cover of the disc. Um, or was it on the inner gatefold? Gosh, it had, it had pictures of the bands. There's, I just recall there's the one picture with Bob. He's in the bathtub with soap suds on his hair. It's like, yeah. it's like telling you who, who the members of the band are. But as a uh-huh. Canadian, as a Canadian, the one of Spiral Stairs, he's sitting eating something. I don't know, but he's drinking a bottle of beer. And the bottle of beer is a brand of beer called Moosehead, which is yeah, an independent, it's an independent brewery out of Nova Scotia. It's one of the last independent breweries in like other than like uh craft breweries. Like it's a pretty big scale independent brewery on the East coast of Canada. So, um, I wonder where that picture was taken, but you're saying, you know, Moosehead. So maybe yeah, I remember Moosehead used to be popular. I'm in the Southeast United States. And that's wacky that they had penetration. Into, down there. What's that? I said, that's wacky that they had penetration down there then. Wow. I think it was widespread because we went and we'd go to the grocery store or the liquor store, or wherever, you know, parents and not that my parents normally took me to the liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'd see occasionally see the beer section and, you know, kids are attracted to graphics. And, uh, yeah, I remember the Moosehead beer label. Huh. It was everywhere. It was wow. Everywhere in the eighties. In the well, if you're early nineties, yeah, I would say early nineties for sure. That was my beer in my first year university. Yeah. Uh, that's what I drank. Uh, so I don't know if you're listening to this and, uh, you were a moosehead drinker, shoot me an email, JD at meeting Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. I'm going to go open a beer. Um, <laughs> Dude, I got to thank not, you so it's much. It's not noon yet, J.D. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. It's not noon yet. It's noon somewhere. <laughs> Isn't that what they <laughs> say? No. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, listen. Uh, thanks so much for doing this, as always. That's so fun. I really enjoyed it. All right, cool. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, dude. All right. There is no castration fear. 